A new documentary about the Falwells premiered last night. And then drag shows are back in the news. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really good to have you with us on... I don't know what is it August early September look at that that's a I sun know. shining Can you believe how we sat outside for a while we at the studio did. before we walked up here to come on the show for you it is beautiful out there beautiful. it's also I got to give a shout out it's my son's 11th birthday today I was going to ask you about that so that 11 that would be your youngest that son That is my youngest son Nolan So yep. as your youngest continues to get older mm-hmm. what is are you having like an existential crisis are you what are we doing for no, his birthday y- today You know what it is I, it's not a an existential crisis it's definitely though that he's the baby like yeah. that's what i'm realizing like in my mind i'm like oh he's 11 my little baby's 11 <laughs> like i still think he's little even at age 11 sure Do you know what that. i mean yeah he loves it whereas my other boys at age 11 i think i was like boys you need to be ironing your own clothes now you know what i mean but him i just still carry around the house like he's a baby like i just i love he's he's the spoiled youngest for sure can when is all do you actually still iron clothes People always are okay. Nobody irons clothes anymore. I iron clothes all the time, but people always say that to me. Nobody, nobody irons, irons clothes. clothes. I iron clothes. Is okay. this really? I mean, really? Does nobody iron yeah, clothes? No, I mean, I iron clothes, and then I watch the Cosby Show and call on my rotary phone. I mean, nobody irons well, their clothes anymore. What do you do with clothes? Just gonna throw them in the dryer. Don't let just fold them. Get them out. I, I don't. Think I have too much southern still in me because I yes, if it's wrinkly, I iron it. I won't put it away until it's ironed. I mean, this is my whole life has been this, but I've had many conversations with people. Do you my iron friend, jeans? I mean, only if they're wrinkly. My friend, my friend Catherine has had the same conversation with me. So I know, I know, I can't fight back too hard here. But I have just always ironed wrinkly shirts, pants. I do remember my mom doing a lot of ironing when I was younger. I remember her doing a lot of ironing and now nobody seems to iron. And I, I honestly do not know the difference. Like what has changed? So I can't answer that question. Maybe the people like me are the ones who are the slobs (laughs) and the problems. You're sloppy and I'm tidy. We do not iron. And I don't know many people who still do. Well, now you know one. Her name is Aubrey. And she irons consistently. We figured out during this week's shows that you have some diva natures to you. So there's this might be yet another. I must must get all of my wrinkles out of my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you didn't answer. What are you doing for your son's oh, birthday yes, tonight? Uh, Portillo's. He wants Portillo's. But because, you know, we've got the show until a yeah. little bit later. Kevin is going to go ahead and take him to Portillo's. Then they're going to bring it home. And we'll Portillo's open. for dinner or Portillo's just cake? No, Portillo's for dinner. I've made a birthday cake. Then we're going to come home, do cake and presents together. Wow. You yeah. make a cake? Yeah, I made a cake. Partly, I mean, this is probably more information than you need. He's going to have a birthday party in a couple weeks. We're taking him in a kids to see Wakanda forever and he wants Portillo's cake at that party and we said you can choose a Portillo's cake there or a Portillo's cake on your actual birthday he said Portillo's cake with friends mom can you make me a cake on my birthday okay yeah uh we've learned two things here that you iron and you bake cakes I am so domestic you today. really wow. are you like Whoa. to project this image that Whoa. you regularly just really you just destroy that image yeah, wow. Maybe I maybe I'm not seeing myself correctly. This is who I really am. Aubrey Homemaker. Aubrey Homemaker. Nice. Yep, I like okay, that. Okay, we've learned that today. Yep. All right. 
So another thing you love to do at home besides <laughs> ironing and baking yes. is you like to watch documentary stream stuff. And you watched one yesterday that I wanted to talk about. I did not know you had watched it. I did watch it. So uh, I wanted to talk about it more conceptually, but I want to get a little bit of a, of a firsthand reaction. Oh, man. As oh, yesterday man. on Hulu was the premiere of a new documentary called God Forbid that revisits the Jerry Falwell Jr. sex scandal. Uh, the pool boy is in there. But it's also an indictment on evangelicalism. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's ties to politics. Now, it comes from a specific angle. We should be yes, very careful is, about that. It is John Carlo Granda, the quote-unquote pool boy. It's I mean, it's his doc. He's being interviewed yep. throughout the entire thing. The Some di- other people are, too, but mostly him. The director is Billy Corbin, and he's done a lot of other documentaries. Billy Corbin did not go out to make a documentary that was complimentary of Jerry Falwell Jr. Right. But as we've learned over the last couple of years, there's not a lot complimentary about Jerry Falwell no, Jr. No, there isn't. So I want to talk about what what we think the effect of this is and what it does, but please do give me a review. And why'd you watch it in the first place? Why did I watch it in the first place? I kept asking myself that. Why am I watching this? Why am I watching this? I think because it is so connected to just the evangelical world that we live in. Although this is totally not the evangelical world nope. that, like you and I live in. So uh, there was a part of me that, wa- that wants to be like, this is not evangelicalism. This is a deviant, weird, bizarro weird. world. Uh, but basically, I mean, I'm guessing most people know the story at this point, but Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, Becky, initiated a conversation with a guy who worked at a hotel in Miami uh, known as Giancarlo Granda. And what he's they, affectionately known as the pool boy, he's a fa- which they actually talked about this. He, he he has been really, I mean, understandably so, mocked, destroyed. Even that term, the pool boy, he he had the job at the hotel for like less than a year. Oh, that and right? But that's kind of hung over him. And um, I mean, he opened up quite a, li- quite a little bit, even about getting to the point where he was suicidal when all of mm. this came out. So you, you definitely had some compassion for him. Um, but they approached him really to begin a sexual relationship with him. And Becky Falwell fell in love with him. And there was, I mean, there was recordings of conversations and just dark, dark stuff where, I mean, I don't know what I can say and what I can't say on the air, but Jerry Falwell Jr. would watch as Giancarlo and Becky had their way with one another. Had a relationship. Yes. Yes. And uh, he said at one point, it was like Becky was my girlfriend. But then the weird part is, is they started bringing him to like, Family vacations, family events, yeah, very Liberty University events. At one point, he's meeting Donald Trump Ju- or Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. Mm. And uh, so it was dark and it was gross. I'll just say that. But then the weirdest part became how it seems like, at least the way the documentary told the story, is that uh, Trump was aware of this relationship. Michael Cohen, Trump's fixer at the time, was aware of this relationship. Used that to get Jerry Falwell Jr.'s endorsement. That's right. Yep. I think Jerry Falwell Jr. was already a Trump's fan, and so pro- fans so probably yep. would have given the endorsement anyway. But that led Trump to get elected, led all of that evangelical movement. Movement, a uh, lot of lot of power, lot of influence at Liberty University, and. Uh, which Liberty University, we should point out, is the largest Christian college in the nation when you take its yeah. on-campus and also its, it's online. online reach. So let me ask you this. Yeah. 
Uh, I've seen a lot online right now about, oh, I thought it was just going to be a sordid sex scandal documentary, but it's actually been a lot more than that about right. the roots of Christianity and the and the Republican Party, and it goes back to Jerry Falwell Sr. Yeah, the, the moral majority. Moral majority. It yeah. works its way up through Trump and all of this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, is this helpful or is this a yet another black eye for evangelicalism? Maybe the answer is both. But how did you walk away from that? Is this just like, oh, I wish that we would stop seeing these things? No, no, no. I actually think this is so helpful because it's so sordid and it's so it, it, we've talked about Christian nationalism a lot on this show. It is a picture of power hungry, twisted, corrupt people mm. and why Trump came into power. And it is um, it needs to be told it is a black eye for evangelicalism. But what I mean, what I'm saying is this is not evangelicalism. And that's where I am like, this is where I think we've had conversations before about do evangelicals need to come up with a new name? Do we? Because though they use the term evangelical Christians, this is not Christian. Yeah. Number one. And people might debate with me on that. But I, I'm i going to stand by that. The, the, the Fowler Jr. showed no fruit of the spirit. Paul Jr., if I remember right, when pushed about Said Liberty University, Christian, basically right? like, I'm not a pastor, I'm yeah. not a Christian. Yeah. Uh, this is where I struggle with stuff like this, because I think you're exactly right. That I think 99.9% of evangelical Christians that I know would go, this is sinful, this yeah. is sordid, this is gross. Um, but the people that I've seen posting about this on Twitter today, on my timeline, or liking stuff, yeah. are the people who aren't Christians, and so this That's is what hard. I struggle with That's because hard. you and I know that this does not represent Christianity. Yeah. This does not represent evangelicalism as we know it. But the people outside the tent, if you will, this is they what they're using that. as a caricature to go. Yeah. Just about power. Just about sex. You're no better than anybody else. And you're like, yeah, no, no. I think this guy's gross, too. Like, I yeah. don't like this either. And It's just, it's difficult. I mean, it is so difficult. And I will say, Kevin and I watched it last night, and we were both like, this is so sad for Jesus. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, poor Jesus. Jesus is fine, right? Like, Jesus doesn't need Jerry Powell Jr. Yes. But it did, as actual Christians who love Jesus and love the church, your heart broke for like the disturbing, disgusting sin. And I... Look, there's a there's a plank in my own eye, but when it comes this to this, big. not this big, when it, you can name it and say this is ugly, this is corrupt, this has twisted the name of Jesus, and man, I, it was so so filthy, but it it didn't make you heartbroken for the reputation yes. of Christianity and the reputation of Jesus. This is that's where I struggle because hopefully things get learned from this, yeah. uh, things like that. But I just know that there. There are people who look at the Jerry Fall. You know, it's on Hulu. Yeah. And it's all these people watched it yesterday and will continue yeah. to watch it. And there are people all across that platform going, see, that's what Christians are. And the rest mm-hmm. of us will be like, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. But you wonder if I were in their shoes, I'd go, wait a minute. This is the guy that's president was the president of the, the biggest. Largest, yeah. He was the voice of the evangelicals in the mm-hmm. Trump campaign. All of this stuff. I'd mm-hmm. go, of course, this is who defines you. Right. And that's what really stinks about this is this is this is another black eye yeah. uh, for for who we are as Christians. And I think we just have to continue to show people that it's not true. Yep, that's it. The show yeah. people that's not a true vision of Jesus. So we've or learned Christianity. we've learned that you bake cakes, you <laughs> iron. iron clothes. Yep. 
and you watch questionable documentaries. <laughs> that is the whole is life the definition of, of Aubrey a housewife Sampson. right there. That's, that's me. Aubrey, I, I, I prepped you before the break. Are you ready? I've got a story that you are not going to handle well. Oh, no. Really? Are you ready? I'm going to read you the story. Okay. I don't want you to respond as I'm reading it. Okay. And then we're going to pause and just allow you to respond to it. All right. I'm I want ready. your regular reaction. Here we okay. go. You're going to get everything you need from the headline, but I'm going to continue reading the story anyway. Family turns beloved dead golden retriever into a rug. Many pet owners find ways to honor their pet's memory after they pass, but one family may have taken man's best friend a little far. After an Australian family's golden retriever passed away, they decided to turn their beloved pet into a rug. While some might find the memento disturbing, pet taxidermy is becoming a popular way to honor a pet, according to professional who was hired by the family. Uh, So I'm going to stop right there. You have since clicked on it and you have seen the picture. I have had gag reflexes seeing the picture. The picture looks like there is just a dog sleeping on the ground. It looks like a dog sleeping on the ground. It's literally the dog's skin. So I want people to picture like a bear rug. Like a bear rug, but But it's the family dog. dog. It's the family dog. Aubrey Sampson, yay or nay? Thumbs up, thumbs down. No, all all my thumbs down. All All the thumbs thumbs in the world down. (laughs) Like it is so, that is so nasty. Keep a picture of your dog in a frame. You know what I mean? Like that's all you. Know. Our our beloved Fufu has died. Make us get a sweet little picture. Get a statue if you need to. the The rug still has the dog's nails. Like <laughs> it is. And look, my dad. This may offend people. I grew up in a hunting home. My dad was a hunter, so we mm-hmm. we actually grew up with taxidermied animals in our house, which I you know is a thing. Yeah. But this is like. A pelt. Yes. It's a pelt of your family dog. This, I love dogs. Yes. I love my two dogs. Yeah. This is so disturbing. It's and the gross. picture of it is the, what is, I would encourage it's people like to a Google flat it. Dog. It was, this was at the New York Post, is where I found this. It is so disturbing because it looks like the dog is asleep on it the ground. It looks like the dog is asleep, but, but the flat. eyes are so shut. It's flat. <laughs> flat. It's flat. It's like a squished dog on the All ground. Right. I love that my life has gotten to the point when I see stories like this, I go, <laughs> Aubrey will be disturbed. I shall bring this up. That is so nasty. All righty. All right, okay, Aubrey. It's uh, election time. Yes, it is. And we know that we have a major uh, race here in Illinois for the governor. Yep. J.B. Pritzker, the incumbent, the Democrat, is running against Darren Bailey, the Republican nominee. Yep. And uh, most people seem to think Pritzker's up, but it's getting closer and it's pretty close. Okay? Uh, So let's do this. J.B. Pritzker, and and I want to... Here, I'll frame the. Let me just read the story. Okay. J.B. Pritzker, along with Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, State Rep. Kelly Cassidy, and Alexei Janulius, uh, were campaigning at a Chicago drag show a week before Election Day. Called the event was called "Drag 'Em to the Polls." <laughs> J.B. Pritzker headlined so the "Drag 'Em to the Polls Get Out the Vote" rally Tuesday evening at the Baton Show Lounge in Uptown neighborhood. He was joined by a bunch of other Democrats that I already told you. And then he used it as an opportunity to talk about the Darren Bailey's uh, quote unquote racist, misogynistic, homophobic, yeah. xenophobic sure. people and uh, linked them to Donald Trump. All of this stuff. The drag shows lip syncing performances by people dressed as the opposite sex have emerged as a hot button political issue of the day. And it goes on to give some more background here in Illinois. 
Let me ask you this question. Uh, you still can't get over the uh, drag him to the polls. I love the t- I love the name. It's so clever. So we've this is not the first drag show story we've talked about. My hometown or my current town of Downers Grove had a big kerfuffle over drag show bingo, drag queen bingo yeah. at the library. That, that was for kids, though. Right? Ended this up is not adult, happening. This is an adult lounge. Uh, talking about so. Not going to ask you what do you think of this. Yeah. But if I had told you three years ago. <laughs> That a major political like right, crossroads right. in our country, would a major be the drag queen would be shows. drag queen shows. What would you have said? Like, what's going on culturally that this is becoming like the pinnacle right now? I would, I would. Ten years ago, five years ago, I don't even know. If two years ago, I could have seen yeah. that. I could have seen this coming. It's wild to me that Pritzker was preaching from a church pulpit just a few weeks ago, and now he's here. So he's making the rounds. He's making the rounds in all of all of the places. I think this is um, what's going on. I wish I could say, oh, they're just seeing marginalized people and really standing up for them. But I don't think the motives are that pure. Mm. I think this is pure. We're going to make a dividing wall and we're going to say the people on the other side are against you. They um, they're dehumanizing, wanting to take away your rights. But we're the good guys. We attend the drag shows and we support you. And Inclusion. It's uh, it's um, it's performative yeah. politics. My guess is this is the first time any of these folks have ever <laughs> walked into a drag bar in their entire Doesn't lives. Seem- if they were regular supporters and these were their friends, I'd almost be like. Do, your, do what you're going to do. Good. You know, but this is totally performative. It does. And this is what strikes me as odd, too, that it's drag queen stuff that has become to define the uh, transgender LGBTQ movement that yeah, I would be. unusual. It seems like con- condescending is not the right word, but it just seems weird that Token, this is. Maybe? Yeah, this seems like a, a weird dividing line. And I do think. The church needs to be increasingly having conversations. Okay, this happened at libraries. This is now mm-hmm. part of our political mm-hmm. discourse. This is what it means to be inclusive, apparently, in our culture now. And it does show the dividing line between, um, you know, certain political parties or or people on, on which side and where yeah. they're going to divide those lines. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, It's a weird, weird deal. Like you said, two years ago, I never would have gone, you know what? going to be drag queens that's going to be it yeah. for our culture right I, now i think what i what i'm actually curious about research wise with the numbers is this really the place where the polls are being decided do you know what i mean like yeah. is this actually because i think sometimes it feels like culture makes things an issue and like um a moment in time that when you actually see the numbers you're like oh wait this maybe isn't um, as big of an issue as we're making it. And I I don't know enough to even answer that. It just makes me curious. Like, is this really like the drag queen shows? Is that really where the like political, uh, the wins are going to come yeah, from? It feels like, like you mentioned before, it's being used as the backdrop to make a point. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like... It's just interesting that that's the backdrop. So, I, you know, I think we as people, churches and everything are going to need to wrestle with this because this is what's being used in my town at the library. Right. This is what's being used in political events right. at schools and all over the place. Can I say something that might sound a little counterintuitive, but hear me out. This is why I think it's performative, too. 
I, I mean, are Pritzker and these political leaders also using the drag queens? Feels like you it. know what I mean. Like I know there's another conversation to be had about values and where do we stand, but I mean, even that itself feels smarmy to me. Yeah. Like, are you dehumanizing the very people like you're props. trying to say we're for? Are they props? props. Are they um, mascots? That's yeah, what I it wonder. It feels like yeah. it, but we're used to our politicians having props. And I guess so that's true. This is yet another one. So we'll see where this goes. Election time is just around the corner. Weird things happen. So uh, that's what is happening. Carbery, over the last couple of months, I've given you lots of quizzes. You have. You keep quizzing me. But you do pretty well on them. I do, but they make me so nervous. Well, but you're right. This I have one's done pretty well. You... I should own that. I do well on uh, those quizzes. We did uh, Taylor Swift or Lamentations. Yeah, that was we a good We did one. like uh, Heavy Metal or The Bible. <laughs> that, that was, was dark. Amazing. That one was dark. I loved that one. We've done, uh, was, it, was it Marvel maybe? Uh, I think Avengers, Avengers or, or The, the Bible. Bible. So we've done a bunch of yes. these. And Star Wars or The Bible. That I was think a we fun did, one. Uh, like, uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Maybe uh-huh. all those. So anyway, yeah. the, the interesting thing is you've done really well at these. Yes. And the one time I gave them to somebody else, uh, one of our fill-ins, Steve Koble, did terrible. And the he's Lamentations. A yeah, did the, the Lamentations <laughs> and Taylor Swift, which you about aced, if I remember right. You got one wrong. Yeah, I think I wrong. got one wrong, which I'm still regretting. But so yeah. I'm just going to give this one I'm about to give you is more generic. Okay. okay. It is just titled this. Is it in the Bible? Oh, my. Okay. Is this in the Bible? And okay. this, I'm going to warn you in advance. Oh. Goodness. This is, is very King Jamesy. Okay, that always throws me which off. Which makes it King more Jamesy. difficult, and that's what I wanted. Ah, okay, okay. It's a little King James. So I okay. want people to play along. Okay. They said the average person yep. who takes this quiz, it's yep. a ten, um, it's a ten question quiz. Okay. The average person gets seven correct. Okay, so my goal is to beat seven, and I think you can do it. I actually okay. think you're going to go. I'm putting the over under at eight and a half. Okay. All right. So, all right. Here we go. You ready? Yes. Very King Jamesy. Okay. Help thy brother's boat across, and lo, thine own has reached the shore. What's what am I answering? Is it in the Bible? True, it's in the Bible. False, it's not. Help thy brother's boat across, and lo, thine own has reached the shore. No. You said false. I said false. That is correct. I need you to keep track of how many you get right. Uh, This is an old proverb from the Hindu religion, somewhat akin to the golden rule of do unto others of what you'd have them do unto you. But it is uh, from probably one of the primary Hindu sacred texts. Okay. Number two. Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Yes, Bible. That is correct. Okay. That is, in fact, King Jamesy from Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Okay. Yes. Whosoever is angry. Okay. Number three. Ooh, so ooh, you're ooh. you're going to cruise with these. Okay. Am I my brother's keeper? That is definitely the Bible. Do you remember where? Cain. <laughs> <laughs> from Genesis. <laughs> Genesis. What? Oh, what chapter I, is Cain? You are right in all of the things you've said there. Four to six. Four. Four. Yes, okay, I, we're really good at te- you've gotten all of this I'm correct. This is crazy right now, so I should know this. So there's no reason you should know the, what I'm about to ask you. Okay, Genesis four. What? Oh, I, d- I definitely. Yeah, but no, know. I think you're on a hot streak really? right now. I think you can get this. Eight. So close, Genesis four nine. No, really. Oh, okay, but man. that was impressive, That's Genesis, me. and you got Genesis Ooh. four. You Ooh. got Cain. If a man says I love God and yet hates his brother, Ooh. he is a liar. Yeah, that's the Bible. If a man says, I love God. <laughs> <laughs> and hates his brother. 
Uh, that is correct. Yes. You are four for four. Yes. Do you know where that is in nope. the Bible? Nope. First John chapter four, oh, yeah. verse First 20. John four, nope, just by singing seven it, doesn't matter. Eight. Beloved, let us love one another. All okay. right, here we go. Number five. Whoever degrades a brother degrades me, and whatever is done or said returns to me. Whoever degrades a brother degrades me, and whatever is done or said returns to me. I'm going to say no, but this is, I feel very risky on this. So you go no Bible. That is correct. (gasps) No way. This is from Song of Myself, a poem by Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman. I didn't know it was Walt Whitman, but that returns to me part is what I thought. That's not the Bible. Okay. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. The Bible. Ooh, I thought we'd get you on that one. That is the Bible. Is it a proverb? It is a proverb. Oh! Come on, give me a chapter. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. You got a one in 31 chance. Uh, Two. No. Yeah. Okay. Proverbs 18, verse 19. Oh. You're on a roll. You already got ooh, six ooh, for ooh. six. Okay. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Okay, believe it or not, I know this is in the Bible because of my Old Testament class. This is the Bible. This is Deuteronomy. I you're, think. You are odd. Is that right? Yes. Am I right? I don't know where in Deuteronomy though. Right, I'll give you a hint because this is part. You probably won't. This probably won't help you, but yeah. this is part of the charge that Moses and yeah. the elders gave to the people yes. of Israel as they prepared to cross over into so the it's Promised early. Land. Early. Let's go. No, it's late. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Thirty-four. Pick a number twenty-eight. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28 verse okay. 5. Wow, you just keep getting you're like extra credit person Man. here. He who blesses most is blessed. He who blesses most is blessed. No, not Bible. You are correct. No way. I was really unsure on that one. This is from Lines for the Agricultural Exhibition at Amesbury <laughs> by John Greenleaf Whittier. Well, that I did not know. All right, you only have two more. You've already gotten eight. You're <gasps> okay, eight for if eight. I get, if I get a streak here, what happens? If I win, what happens? We'll, we'll cheer for you. Okay. We'll that clap for you. doesn't feel like enough, but okay. Behold, how good it is for brethren, brethren to dwell together in Zion. Behold. How good it is for brethren to dwell together in Zion. So, I thought it was going to be, behold, how good it is for brothers to dwell in, like, unity, a relationship. But am I remembering wrong, or is that a trick question? Ah! Not the Bible. I think it's a trick question. You are, you are, like, do you remember NBA Jam, the old video game, where it would just go, you're on fire! Yeah? Not only is that not the Bible, it's a trick question. It is! I got it right! It says this, Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to to dwell dwell together in unity. Yes! But it's not from anywhere else. They were just trying to trick you with that one. I knew. I'm like... Well, I didn't know. I thought I, I thought that could be new New King James or something, but I was like, I think it's unity or relationship or something like that. So, all right, last one. So you are nine for ten. You're in the tenth frame right now. You're staring at a three hundred up on the screen. This is going to be so disappointing if I fail. Can I give you something? This is the easiest one you're really? about to get. Okay, okay, so, okay. You are so excited about doing well on this. Have I ever had 10? I don't think I've ever gotten all I of am them. going to give you a hint, although maybe I'm messing with you. Oh, God. Okay. My yoke is easy, <laughs> and my burden is light. That's 
The Bible. That is. Do you know which book it is quoting from? Uh, let's go with Luke. Matthew chapter uh, 11, okay. verse 30. Aubrey Sampson, a 10, ten for 10. Out of 10. Yes. You're going to go home and like tell your family, yes. like, this is better than your son's birthday, isn't it? Seriously. I feel like I just won the world. I then. just won the world. <laughs> 30 seconds. Why should people know their Bible and read their Bible? Oh, Let's add with that as we man, talked about the Bible. That's such a great question. I mean, I, Brian, I feel like your answer is one of the best I've, I've ever heard about this. Like, if you want to, people say, oh, I don't know where God is. I can't hear from God. I don't know. I, I don't understand my life's purpose. I don't understand. Well, you ha- God has given us his actual word. Like it's the, very, right. it's the very breath of God. And so, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of these were from the Old Testament. I'm studying the Old Testament right now, how much the Old Testament makes the ministry of Jesus come to life in incredible ways to know the Bible front to back is uh, difficult but totally worthwhile, a treasure, and it grows your intimacy with God and your faith in God. Okay, I think that's well put. So that's one reason we like to do these quizzes, because they're fun, right? They're fun, but also to show you that the Bible, uh, you know, it makes a difference in your life, and you and I believe that very strongly. Coming up next, uh, although the rest of the show is going to be a letdown for you, because you just went... (laughs) That was like my peak of today, and it's all downhill. I also think it's funny how excited you got about that, but uh, very ten impressive. Out of ten, you know me. I like to I like to score one hundred. You do, things. Brian. We talked about a different documentary earlier in the show. Yes, we did. Uh, God forbid the the one about Jerry Falwell Jr. and John Carlo Granda. I watched another documentary also on because that's what you do. That's apparently what I do with my life. It was the Diane Sawyer and Matthew Perry interview. Did okay. you watch any of it? I did not, but I did tell you that I've been seeing a lot of Matthew. He just came out with a book, right? Yeah, he came out with a book. And so a lot of Matthew Perry. He was Chandler from Friends, yes. for those of you who don't know. A lot of stories about his time on Friends. A lot of story. I mean, he battled addiction. He said, I think he said he spent in the millions trying to get healed from addiction yeah. trying to rehab so yeah. no i did not see this interview but i have actually read a bunch of things that that he has said yeah the story's the story's pretty wild especially if you weren't aware that he was fighting with addiction all throughout filming friends i want to uh, play for you some of the audio from that conversation because it's just really really interesting so let's go ahead and take a listen for some reason it's obviously because i was on friends more people will listen to me so I've got to take advantage of that. I've got to help as many people as I can. He says that's why he has written the harrowing details about his journey through alcohol, all those drugs, and the fight to break free. I want to just do it by the numbers because you're sending postcards from hell to everyone out there who needs it. 6,000 AA meetings, therapy 30 years, 15 rehab maybe at least half of your life in treatment or in sober living houses he has been in detox he estimates 65 times and as you'll hear later he survived 14 surgeries once in a coma on life support one of the things i have to deal with is that my family rushed to the hospital and we're told that i have a two percent chance to make it through the night and you know my mom heard that and my dad heard that as he heals from all he's been through there's still wear and tear on his voice and speech and the scars on his body like a warrior back from battle i once saw martin sheen at, uh, at a podium and he said uh, 
I want to tell you a story about a guy who goes to St. Peter's office. He dies and he goes to St. Peter's office. And St. Peter says, do you have any scars? And the man very proudly says, no, I don't. And St. Peter says, why? Was there nothing worth fighting for? And I liked hearing that, obviously. Every day, a new one. What's your dream day? A dream day? A dream day. So, playing games, watching movies. I want to work out. I want to play pickleball. I play it almost every day. And that's why this tan is real and not <laughs> fake. One of the things that they talked about in this interview, Brian, um, that I wanted to point out, one was if you watch Friends, it's noteworthy how much weight Matthew Perry loses yes. and gains, loses yes. and gains. And he talks about how when he was on pills, that's when he's skinny Chandler. When he was drinking, that's when he's heavy Chandler. Mm. And they went back and watched some of the scenes together, and he'd be like, yep, there I was totally hung over there. But he was interestingly just really able to do the job. So that's what was wild. He was really yeah, a function- hilarious. functioning yeah. addict. But here's the part that I thought was really interesting, and I want to get a little pastoral here. There's a moment in this interview where he told Diane Sawyer that when he was a young man, he prayed, God, make me famous. If Mm. you do, I'll do whatever you want. And of course, that he says that prayer, quote unquote, came true. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was at the height of his career a few years ago, obviously. Um, But his own realization, and we've heard this said from a lot of celebrities, was that Basically, that did not fulfill me the way mm-hmm. I thought that it would. Millions of dollars, you know, one point, what stars argued for a million dollars per episode, like right. the highest paid uh, actors on a sitcom ever, million per episode, millions of dollars for movies he's making. I mean, the guy, again, at the height of his career, and he's saying none of that satisfied mm. and um, turned to obviously like drugs That's and alcohol right. for, for coping and because of his disease. And to me, that was so telling because, I mean, we sort of know it. It's almost a cliche story. The things we think are going to fulfill us aren't Mm -hmm. going to fulfill us. But I think to see it from somebody who's like a beloved character for many of us. And a funny guy. And a funny guy. It's a funny guy. Like you watch Friends and he was the funny guy of the funny guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was the goofy, well, Joey was kind of the goofy one, but Chandler was always the one with the comeback. He was always funny, yeah. Yeah, it's a reminder that be careful what you wish for, for one, but also... Uh, the horrors of addiction. Oh man! And I mean, the the hear that story. I never heard those stories before. Of he was on life support and he did this many times in rehab. This mm-hmm. many, just unbelievable. But colostomy bag at some point, coma at some yeah, point. I mean, just I, awful. I think you make a really valid point of how many times do we have to hear from really famous people, really rich people, really whatever, yeah. well known people going. Yeah, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Mm -hmm. And it reminds us as to where abundance is found, where joy is found, where purpose is found. Like in in Christ, we as Christians have the answer to that. And I guess it always challenges us, A, do we believe it? And B, if we do believe it, are we we helping other people understand that, right? Like we have an answer. Matthew Perry was looking in all the wrong places, I suppose. And outwardly, all of us would have gone, man, I would trade spots with him. He's making a million dollars an episode. He's hanging out with, uh, you know, uh, David Schwimmer and Mm -hmm. Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston and Matt LeBlanc and all of them. 
but he was miserable and he was addicted and he was on death's doorstep and he was spiraling. And uh, it's, it is a wake up call. What do I believe will ultimately give me joy? What do I believe will ultimately give me what I'm looking for? Many of us go, just give me that. And and over and over again, they're like, nope, that's not the answer. That's not the thing. There's a famous Jim Carrey quote about, Mm -hmm. about this, Brian. Do you remember what it is? Just something about the same thing. Like I thought riches, I thought celebrity, I thought it would all fulfill me. None of it ultimately does. Yep. Yep. He said this, he said, I just found it. He said, I think everybody should, this is Jim Carrey, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Yeah. Isn't that, un, it's kind of unbelievable to hear. I don't think a lot of people listening right now believe that, though. I don't even know if I believe it. Good point. I like to put it on other people. Yeah. But yeah. They I'm may, like, if I, oh, if I could have that kind of wealth and that kind of celebrity, yeah, I want it. And then... And then I, if we don't believe it, then we don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the mm. answer. We believe he's a answer, part of the equation. Yeah. But Drew, uh, Drew Carey, Jim Carrey says that's not the answer. That should then beg the question, what is the what answer? What is the answer? And scripture tells us that it's in Christ that we find abundance, that yeah. we find purpose, that that's we right. find forgiveness in life. That's right. and like you said, I think these types of stories challenge us to really look in the mirror and go, do I believe this? Like, yeah. believe it, believe it. Or... So I actually think I want that, right, and even right. if it's not it for other people. Right. And just to, I, I think it, it's kind of a, you know, not to use a cliche or not to use a pun here, but it is sobering to read of Matthew Perry's story and realize those things are not what they're cracked up to be. Like Brian said, the only real answer is life and hope in Jesus. Listen to this, Brian. This is kind of shocking. Uh, Matthew Perry at one point tried to quit smoking, quit for about 15 days, one day, when he bit into a piece of toast with peanut butter, his front teeth fell out. Oh. The pain sent him back to cigarettes. The struggle's ongoing. Uh, this is an article from The Guardian. In January this year, Perry had his 14th surgery pertaining to opiate abuse. He does not believe he has slept more than four hours in his whole life. He's single and filled with regret about past relationships. This is the life of someone who's been blessed with a big, terrible thing, writes Perry. And yet, concludes Perry, now 53 years old, writing from his rented home overlooking the Pacific Ocean with a Diet Coke in his glass and a pack <laughs> of Marlboros in his pocket. At this point in my life, the words of gratitude pour out of me because I should be dead. And yet, somehow, I'm not. I think that is a chilling word for so many of us that the thing we're looking for won't be found in anything else, anyone else than mm-hmm. Jesus Christ mm-hmm. himself. We actually just finished up a conversation talking about some of the difficult words of Jesus. Over at Church Leaders, they took a different tactic. They talked about what are some of the words from Paul that we can ask ourselves. These mm. are some of Paul's rhetorical questions. And uh, what this author of this article, Eric Geiger, is saying is that these are questions we can ask ourselves. This is how he defines a rhetorical question. Do you want to hear it? I'm ready. When your friend or your wife says to you, are you going to eat that? As you're about to bite into like a candy bar or something unhealthy. That's good. That's That's good. That's not actually the question that they mean, right? (laughs) They don't really mean, are you going to eat that? The subtext is you should not eat that. Don't eat that. Yeah. That's the nature of a rhetorical question. You'd be better off not eating that. And Paul used a lot of rhetorical arguments in uh, his writing. So here are the questions uh, from Paul for every single one of us to ask ourselves and remind ourselves of. Here's the first one. Love this verse from Romans 8.31. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Eric says if someone has $100 million, it does not matter to them if the bottle of water at the grocery store is $1.69 or $1.39. Because the $100 million is significantly, significantly greater than the cost of the water. If something could separate you from God, that thing would be God. Mm. But because no one or nothing is greater than God, if God is for you, what does it matter if other things are against you? That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you want to share the second one, Brian? Uh, I most certainly do. Uh, that God is for you, who can be against you, is a difficult one. Yeah, it, it's a good one to it's a good one to cling to when you feel like life is really hard, when you feel like you're up against something, up against disease or circumstance. It's hard. Romans eight thirty two number two. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? How will he not also with him grant us Mm. everything? It's this idea that in light of what God has done uh, in sending Jesus, then how could we ever worry? And and that's a hard one to really live out, right? It's, It's difficult. So, yeah, these are, why are you choosing stuff that's hard today? I know, really, I know. Here's the next one. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, Romans 8.33. He's just walking through Romans 8 right here. The scripture teaches that Satan continually accuses those who belong to Christ. You've heard the insults. If you really loved God, you would not struggle with this. There's no way God can forgive you for what you've done. Do you really think God loves you? But the voice of our enemy is silenced by the loud and powerful voice of Jesus. God's declaration over us silences Satan's accusation against us. God is the one who justifies, and he has declared us holy and righteous. Number four, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. It says, in the midst of our struggles and sin, Jesus intercedes for us. That's an unbelievable trait. Yeah, I love that. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, constantly reminding the Father that our sin has already been condemned, not in us, but in Him. Mm. And Jesus is not reminding a reluctant Father. He is interceding for you to the Father who sent Him to the world. His grace is amazing. And we don't run from God when we understand His grace. We run to God when we understand Ooh, that's, that's such good. a good word. Yeah, it's such a good, a good word. one. All right. Here's the last one. This is a, such a famous passage of scripture. It's so beautiful. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The rhetorical questions from Paul ends with Paul's answer at the end of Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, no things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't Romans 8 so it is. epic? It is. I, I mean, it's such a I think incredible... I preached a sermon series years ago just on Romans 8. Oh, you did? This would be a cool sermon series, just the rhetorical is. questions. And who can separate us from the love of Christ? And everyone's yelling, nobody! Yeah. Right? You can't be separated. And mm. But so many of those things, affliction, distress, persecution, yeah. famine, naked sword... Those types of things, they do think that whether they separate us from God, but the good news is nobody, nothing. Yeah, I, I think these are good. Here's why these are good reminders. We started to talk about this a few minutes ago, but, it, you know, anybody who's you're questioning your faith, you're wondering, oh, is am I maybe God doesn't love me because I'm not faithful enough. Or maybe you are walking through something difficult. You're walking through cancer. You're walking with someone who's going through a disease. You're 
uh, dealing with difficulty, you're stressed financially, you're worried about your kids, your grandkids. Like there's so many areas in life uh, that can make us feel defeated mm-hmm. and stuck. Even just like, hey, the job isn't going the way I wanted to, or I'm not getting the job I wanted to. Those things can make you feel so discouraged. And, and you can kind of feel like, God, do you even see me? That's do you right. even care? And then outside of our own circumstances, man, look at the pain and the heartache in the world. Think about all of the pain in, in Ukraine and think about all of the, I mean, there's just so much devastation everywhere. So to, to ask ourselves these rhetorical questions, if God That's is for right. us, who can be against us? Who condemns us? No one. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? I think all of that just strengthens our faith to help us mm-hmm. keep going Remember that God is with us. Remember we're not alone and that we can overcome during these really, really difficult things that life it's throws so at true. us. so true. And these are just great reminders. I do like that. You saying, wouldn't it be cool sermon series on these rhetorical yeah. questions? And the, the answers to these should be yelled, right? No, or yeah. yes, or yeah. nobody. Like it is the good news of the gospel. And it, it helps to be reminded of that over and over and over again. Yeah, it it absolutely does. And I, I mean, I know, you know, even if you've been a Christian, for a long time, even if you've been Christian for decades, mm-hmm. or even if you're new to Christ, like wherever you are, we still hit these seasons of life where you're like, okay, Lord, I don't see what you're doing here, or I feel stuck here, or I feel, I feel spiritually dry. I mean, there's so many categories where we can get stuck or can question again, even if we've been a Christian for a really long time. I think the words of, of Romans 8 and these rhetorical questions from Paul are just... Um, again, beautiful ways for us to to recenter ourselves. Right. In fact, I think it might be a really good discipline. Like if you're in a season that's difficult right now, mm-hmm. grab a journal or grab the notes in your phone and write down the questions that Paul asks from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Um, God didn't spare his own son, so mm-hmm. how will he not grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Write those down and then maybe even begin to to pray them or to write truths about them in your journal. And when you have seasons of difficulty, you can return to those again and again and again and yeah. find the strength that you need. You often talk about re-gospeling ourselves, mm-hmm. the need to preach the gospel, even though we've heard it so many times. That's what these do to you. And I like your idea there of writing down the questions, writing down the thoughts of going, okay, who has God said he is? Who has God made me? What is my identity? What's the good news? Mm -hmm. Can anything separate me from the love of Christ? And just reminding ourselves, because we know these in our head, but they're just hard to live out day after day after day. And that's the beauty of this. So I'm grateful. This is this is really it's it's preached to us. And hopefully it's an encouragement to you out there who may be struggling Maybe you don't know the good news of the gospel, or maybe you've just kind of forgotten it. What, what do we always say? The old, the, the good news becomes old news. Mm, and allow yeah, this to to kind of reinvigorate, yeah, relight that candle. That's good, Brian. That's a really good word. It is the end of the show. And at the end of every show, we love to just bring you something that'll get you thinking or put a smile on your face or encourage you spiritually. And we thought there was no better person to join us than Wendy Payne. Wendy is the executive director at Evangelical Child and Family Agency, something we know as ECFA. And we're here to talk with Wendy about um, the organization's passion, its vision, its history, its services, and they have a big auction event coming up we want to tell you about as well. So, Wendy, thanks so much for being here with us today. 
Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We're so glad that you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about ECFA in general? Absolutely. So my name is Wendy, and I have been at ECFA for almost 21 years. I have been in the field of social work for a little over 30 years, I guess. But I have landed here because it is a small Christian organization, and I really wanted to be able to put together my love for social work and my faith in Christ, and ECFA provides me that opportunity. And ECFA is a small social service agency. We're in Wheaton. We have four different programs here, and we also have an office in Wisconsin. Oh, that's great. That's and Wendy, awesome. what so people understand kind of the scope of what you do, tell us about the services that you guys provide. Absolutely. We have four programs. We have a counseling program, and that is for anybody who would like to be here at our Wheaton office for counseling, whether that's individuals, couples, or families. We also provide adoption services, and those are home studies for international, domestic, and adoptions through the child welfare system. We also have our Pregnancy Support Services Program, which is a free program, and we offer support to moms and dads and their families going through any kind of crisis during their pregnancy and up to at least six months after the baby is born, really focusing on healthy relationships, healthy parenting, that kind of a thing. And then our fourth program is Intact Family Services, which is a state program where the children have experienced abuse or neglect, Mm. but the goal is to keep the family together. Not all times do kids need to be removed and put into foster care. Sometimes it's best to keep the families together, and that's our goal of that program. Wow, love love hearing that. And I, I would love to hear, because Wendy, I know you said you've been at ECFA for over 20 years. That's over two decades. I'd love to hear a little bit about the history of the organization. Absolutely. We started in 1950, and prior to that, there was a baby that was left on the doorsteps of Moody Bible Institute. And at the time mm. when this baby, yeah, was abandoned, there was not a Christian organization around. And there were a group of people who said, you know, we really need to have an agency with a faith emphasis who has families who are willing to adopt, take placements, come alongside those in need, and love on them from a Christian perspective and have children grow up in Christian homes. And so out of that abandoned baby at Moody, ECFA was born. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know that story about you guys. That's pretty amazing. Uh, And so, Wendy, tell us, you know, everything around abortion and foster care and adoption, it's so politically charged right now. So I'm wondering how you guys have experienced that. Like, you know, are you getting... troubles with the state? Are there things going on? Help us understand what things are like for you guys right now. Absolutely. At the moment in Illinois, we are not receiving any kind of trouble from the state at all, which is really fantastic. Our organization is significantly pro-life. We are here to support families 100%, and the state knows that. Now, we've had some some issues in the past that have been of concern. If you'd like me to share about that, I'd be happy to do that. sure. Sure. Uh, Back in 2011, there was a concern about the state of Illinois who wanted agencies who provided foster care, which we did at the time and had done so for many, many decades. Their desire was for all agencies to license individuals in a civil union. And ECFA took the stance that we believe that couples are to be a man and a woman in a marriage. And the state of Illinois said, then we are not going to give you your foster contract again. 
Mm. The state of Illinois can give a contract to anybody they want to. Wow. And so they chose not to. And we, uh, we lost our foster care program at that time. We had to let go of, I think it was like 37 staff members, and we lost 70% of our budget. Wow. So that was a pretty huge hit to ECFA, and it was a, a time, though, where we knew that we were standing firm in our beliefs of what we felt God calling us to do. And we have really, really thrived since then and believe that God has very much honored our decision to stay true to who we are. Oh, talk to us about that, Wendy. Like, how have you seen the Lord show up in the middle of what sounds like a really difficult circumstance? Absolutely. We started providing Intact Family Services, the program I talked about from Mm -hmm. the state, back in 2004. And I supervised the program at the time, and we had three workers and 24 cases, and then we went to two workers and 20 cases. And after that, our program by 2012, we had over 90 families that we were serving and six caseworkers. And moving into having two supervisors, we now have two supervisors. We have nine workers. We're looking to hire a tenth, and we serve anywhere from 70 to 95 families on a regular basis. And the state loves us. They love the work that they <laughs> wow. do. Um, they wish they could give all the cases to us, quite mm, frankly. And, and I, I say that just, it is a blessing. It is a gift. And I'm happy we're, we're doing that. That's, that's great. And Wendy, before we talk about you guys having an, an auction and, and something coming up soon, but before we talk about that, what would you say out to somebody out there who is considering fostering or considering adoption? What's the first, uh, first couple steps that they should take? I think the very first step they need to take is to pray about it. I really need to know that God is nudging them in that direction. Foster care and adoption is not for the faint of heart. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat that or anything. It's hard. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. But after praying about it, if they feel that nudge, give us a call. And we don't do foster care, but we can connect you with a variety of foster care agencies. Or if you'd like to adopt through child welfare kids who are ready, give us a call and we'll walk you through that process of just what does this really look like. And we'll do an orientation with you and um, just continuing to be in prayer. That would be the biggest next step for families. Mm, That's fantastic advice. Okay, so tell us, Wendy, about this auction that's coming up on Friday, November 11th. What is it and how can our people find out more? It is my favorite event is what it is. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I love it. So we have an auction that is at the Abington in Glen Ellen. Doors open at 530. It is $40 per person. We have dinner served. We have a silent auction with over 200 items. And then we have a live auctioneer coming in who is an auctioneer by living, and he will do a live auction of about 25 items. It is incredibly fun and one of our biggest fundraisers. And people can sign up on our website at evancfa.org. I love live auctions. That's when they're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're saying more than that, but that's what it sounds like. That's so, so fun. I um, agree. I agree. They call it so fast. I'm like, I think he knows what he's saying, but I'm not sure. It's really, really fun to uh, be there. That's fun. Well, be sure to check that out by going to evancfa.org. Again, that auction is coming up on Friday, November 11th at the Abington in Glen Ellen. It starts at 5.30 p.m., Wendy, where can our listeners find out more about you and just connect with the work you're doing at ECFA? We would love for people to connect with us. They can find us on Facebook. If you search Evangelical Child and Family Agency, our Illinois and our Wisconsin site, we both have Facebook pages. We also have Instagram, or you can go to our website, which is the www.evan.org. 
cfa.org. You can find out about all of our programs, some of our staff, and more of our upcoming events. Perfect. Wendy, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And listeners, we're so glad you've been with us today as well. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.